Hey, a few weeks ago, I got a chance to travel to Denver. And as I was traveling to Denver, I got there. I went to a conference. I was coming back home. You know, you're on the gangplank uh, going down to board. I was like, I was southwest. I was like B number 90, you know. I'm way at the tail end. So I'm in line. It's a long line. And as I'm walking down that gangplank, uh, there's this big, massive man. He's got a he's got to weigh at least 280, all muscle, and he's a he's an employee for Southwest, and he has this little baby carriage, you know, a little stroller, and he is trying to do everything to collapse it so it can fit down in the cargo hole. He cannot figure it out. So I'm watching, and you know, I'm slowly moving closer and closer. Finally, I get up to him, and this guy is so strong. He is like pushing every little lever there is, trying to. Do you know what I'm talking about? These strollers that are almost, you can't figure out how to collapse them. And this hulk of a guy is just like so frustrated he cannot collapse this baby stroller. And I don't know if he ever did. I don't know. I boarded the plane. I just, oh, poor guy. That's why I, I just kept thinking, poor guy. These manufacturers have some hidden lever, some secret button that you have to push or pull, and it would collapse and everything would be happy. You know, the gospel is super, super simple. Did you know that? There is no secret to it. There's no secret button, secret level. Uh, lever that you you pull and so many times people come and they they kind of look at Christianity on the outside and they're not quite sure because the church hasn't done a very good job at just simply proclaiming the simple gospel message today we're going to see that in our text some spiritual truths that just jump out in our text today uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 uh, we're going to start at verse 9, but before we get to the actual text, and the text is just a few sentences, let me tell you the background because, you know, you're jumping into the middle. I mean, we've been in Matthew, but let me set the context again. Jesus is back home at his headquarters, and that's Capernaum. Capernaum is right next to the Sea of Galilee. Almost daily, probably, Jesus gets out on a little boat and he speaks to all the people. And his voice carries across the waters and up into the city. And he's been teaching in Capernaum. And uh, after he's done uh, teaching, Jesus is going to be walking to Peter's house. And he's going to look at a guy named Matthew. Now his real name, in, 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 uh, his Jewish name is Levi. His Arabic Arabic name, I can't even say that, Arabic. His Arabic name is Matthew. And so uh, he's going to pass by Matthew and he's going to look at Matthew and he's going to tell Matthew something. And we'll get to that in just a second. Now we have to remember that Matthew works for the enemy. He works for the Romans. And the Rome has hired him. He has a contract with Rome that he gets to collect all these taxes from the local people. He has to send so much of that money to Rome. He bid and got the contract from Rome. Let's just pretend in, in today's dollars, he purchased this contract from Rome and he has to extract out at least a million dollars from the surrounding businesses and people. Anything he collects above a million dollars... Matthew gets to keep, okay? 
There's a pole tax, there's a bridge tax, there's a fish tax, there's a cattle tax, there's a sheep tax, there's a road tax. There are so many taxes, and if the tax collector locks eyes with you, you're in trouble. Because that means you need to come, and he has the authority to open up your compartments, open up your bags. Open, you've been through airport security you know, they, they have the x-ray machine and sometimes they open the bag and they're like, hey, what's this, salami sandwich? Didn't you know you can't take this through customs or whatever? And they have that ability. They have the legal right. He has the legal right to open up anything that you're carrying alongside the road. And he's going to tax it. He's going to get money from you. So in the, in the spirit of, of keeping these things simple, let's read verse 9 together. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, it's interesting, the, the actual Greek word that means follow means to, to journey on a road. It actually means to journey on a road. So Jesus is basically looking at Matthew, and he says, I want you to walk with me. On this road. I want you to, to follow me. To walk. Now as I said. Most people try to avoid eye contact with Matthew. And try to get by him without paying a tax. Being the tax man of Capernaum. Do you realize who lives there? Peter. James. John. Andrew. They have a fishing business. This is, they recognize who Matthew is. This is a guy that stops them every time they catch a load of fish and he gets a, a slice of the pie. I don't, did you ever realize that? That Matthew, who actually wrote the book that we're in, do you realize that? The guy that we're talking about in the story is the one that wrote the book of Matthew. So he's really low-key about everything. He's the guy that's been taxing all of Jesus' little entourage. Do you think they're happy when they, Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come, come join me? I don't think Peter was probably happy. He's probably, he's the guy that's been ripping me off for years. How would you like if your neighbor was ripping you off year after year and suddenly you had to have him come live with you? That'd be a little tough, wouldn't it? Now, it's interesting. Go back to the text for a second. If you like to underline in your Bible, underline this word saw. Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man, and I'll tell you why you should underline it. There are, uh, let me get this right, there are 12 words in the Greek language that can be translated saw. This kind of saw means he locked eyes with him, gazed at him in such a way that it was like he was reading his heart. It, it, the word means to closely examine, to come to a judgment about. You know, you're buying a piece of fruit. Do you buy just any old tomato or do you actually pick up a tomato and look at it? Or avocado? Or do you just throw avocados in your bag or do you actually look at the avocado to see if it's ripe? What you're doing is using that word saw correctly. You're looking at it, trying to make a judgment about what kind of avocado this is. Jesus stops and locks eyes onto Matthew and gazing at him. He is looking at him to see who he really is. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I know who you are. I know the real you. I know your faults. I know your problems. 
I know your challenges. I know your sin. I know your frustrations. I know who you're married to. I know how many children you have. I know so much about you. And yet, what does Jesus then say? Here is the scourge of the Jewish nation, the tax collector that works for Rome. He can't even go to the marketplace and use his money because nobody wants to touch that money because it's defiled. He can't go to synagogue. He is kicked out of society basically because he's in cahoots with the Roman government. And Jesus looks at him and then he says, follow me. Follow me. Come join on the road with me. I want you to be a part of this, what's happening. I want you to be a part of this kingdom thing that I'm doing. That's how simple the gospel message is. And that first fill in the blank is follow me. That's, that's the gospel message. Jesus says, follow me. Can it get any more simple than that? Then just follow me. Jesus wants you. Let that soak in for a second. Jesus wants you. In fact, let's do this. Can you say these words with me, but not instead of you? Make it personal. And I want you to get your head wrapped around it. Jesus wants me. Can you say that? Jesus wants me. Does that not kind of blow your mind? That the God that created everything in this universe desires a relationship with you and Jesus wants me. Jesus wants Eliana. Jesus wants Mitch. Jesus wants Bob. But when you get... Jesus wants Sherry. And you just bask in that knowledge for a second that no matter what kind of life you've lived, Jesus locks eyes with you and he says, follow me because he wants you. I feel so unworthy. But it doesn't matter. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants me. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Corinthians it says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could be made right with God. Jesus wants you that bad. I don't know about you, the next time you're having a bad day, and you're thinking that things aren't going well or you have no value, you have no worth, I want you to lock onto that understanding that Jesus wants me. Jesus wants me. And Matthew's going to be kind of, not bring attention to himself, but in the other passages that tell us about the same story, it says that not only did he rise up, he left everything. He left his job with the Roman government. Now he's, he's cooked. If he ever decides to go back, he's, there's no going back. He's already been kicked out of society. He's been kicked out of everything. And so he left everything 
Jesus invites us outcasts, and it costs our, the costs are the same for you and I. It does cost us everything to follow Christ because we leave everything behind. Not only physical stuff, but we leave emotional stuff. We leave spiritual stuff behind. And it, it, we forsake it. And forsake's a, a, a weird word. It means that you don't care about it anymore. When you turn your back on the world and the things that you used to do and turn towards the Lord, you are forsaking everything. Some people just try to add Jesus. Back in the day, because I'm a little bit older than some of you, some of you are a little bit older than me. Fair? Do you remember when you used to buy a car and you had to have add-ons? Now, every, every car almost comes fully equipped, right? Air conditioning, power windows, power brakes, disc brakes, everything. But disc brakes, add power windows, right? Some people come to Jesus and they just want to add Jesus to what they're already doing. It don't work. That's not when Jesus locks eyes on you and he says, I want you follow me you have to leave everything behind and trust that Jesus is going to take care of you he's going to deal with you and he is going to bless you Jesus stares into his eyes and he demands to Matthew and to us I gotta be first in your life you must leave everything that that you were trusting in because he was trusting in his job for peace security Fame, fortune, maybe not everything. But Matthew Lee left everything. He left his money, he left his security, he left his job. He left his partnership with Rome. But he also left some other things as well. He left some of those bad coping devices. What are some of the bad coping devices that we have? Sometimes the way we cope at work when... We have coworkers that are nasty. We tear them down, don't we? Maybe not verbally, but we tear them down in our minds. We tear them down because if we can tear them down, it builds ourselves up. That's a coping mechanism. How about this coping mechanism? Uh, you know, I had a rough day at work. I want pizza. I don't know why, but I got to have pizza tonight because I've had a rough day at work. Stress eating? You ever do it? I do it. You're not hungry, but you're like, i got to find something in the cupboard because it's a coping mechanism. Or gossip, or lust, or laziness, or addiction, or risky behaviors. We leave that behind. We say, God, you're going to now show me how to cope with the stress that's in my life. Some people, they cope with sleep, or pills, or alcohol, or spending money, even though they don't have it. They still go spend it because it makes them feel good for a little while. So we leave that behind. Amen? Woohoo! God's going to teach us a new way to cope, a healthy way to cope. And then we leave behind some other ugly things, self-righteousness and pride and the good deeds that we're doing to try to impress God, our heritage. Well, you don't know who I am, you know. Our accomplishments or our pedigrees or the praise of, of men. But we also leave behind unforgiveness, and dysfunction, and self-centeredness, and self-loathing. Matthew turned his back on everything. Matthew was rich. Do you get this? This guy's a millionaire, and he gives it all away. It's just so we can hang out with Jesus and follows him. 
Matthew left his old life to find his real life in Christ. Let me say that again, but let me say it in a way that it applies to you. That's what you do. You leave your old life so that you can find your new life in Christ. The one that will blow your mind. The one that is full of purpose and, and, and direction and joy by following him. You leave your old life to find your real life in Christ. Your real life. Well, let's go back to the text. See what, see what happens next. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. They're having a banquet. They're having a party. The other text says that Matthew called all of his scuzzy friends that the world thought was scuzzy, all the dregs of society, all the leftovers, the people that didn't matter to the upper echelon, especially the religious echelon, and he throws a party, his unsavory friends, what we call lowlifes, right? Outcasts. And why does he do it? He wants them to know Jesus too. He wants them to know Jesus too. So he wants to share this. See, sharing Jesus isn't about geography or language barriers or cultural differences. It's not about missions like we sometimes think of missions. It is an attitude. Sharing Jesus is an attitude. And let, let me say this, and you can write it down if you want to. You don't have to. Compassionate people compassionate people look for opportunities to share Jesus with others. Compassionate people look for opportunities to love others to Jesus. That's what happens. That's what Matthew did. He, he found Jesus and he has to tell somebody and he tells the only people that he knows, his friends that are also rejected by society. Matthew shared Jesus with his friends. On Tuesday, I got a phone call around noon, and we were busy having the baby and all that. You know, it's just a hectic day, and a guy leaves a, a message, and he says, My name is Wayne. I need to talk to a pastor. Can you call me back? And I'm like, Okay, I got to call this guy back. But in all the course of everything, I don't call him back. It's not until a day later he calls again and he says, and this time I can pack up the phone because I'm not in the middle of the, the room and all that other stuff. And uh, throw the, the next slide up. This, this is a picture of Wayne. And I said, uh, uh, Wayne, uh, my name's Rob. What can I do for you? Nine out of ten times when a stranger calls a pastor at home, they're looking for money. That, that's just the way. Well, you're a church. You're supposed to pay my bill. Oh, well, we're supposed to have a relationship first. And then I care about you. You just, it's not, I'm not the government, you know. This is about relationships. So I'm, I'm a little edgy, you know. Hi, who are you? What are you doing? Tell me your story. And he tells me his story. He says, well, I'm dying of AIDS. I've got a few months to live. I live in West Hollywood. I've been a homosexual my entire life. But a year ago, I gave my life to Jesus. He goes, I'm a Jew. And so I traveled back to Maryland to tell my parents and my sisters about Jesus. 
and they kicked me out of the house. So I've been riding a bus to get back to my house in L.A. I said, you know what? I'm having this baby and all this other stuff. I said, can I meet with you tomorrow to pray with you? And he hasn't asked me for a penny. He said, my pastor is on vacation and he's out of the country and I just need someone to talk to. So the next morning, I met with him before he hopped on. Uh, he used to weigh 100 pounds more. He's taller than me. You couldn't tell because he's slumped over. He's lost most of his teeth. And when I met him, he said, I've tried to tell my homosexual friends about Jesus, but they won't have anything to do with me now. He says, I've lost all my friends. Would it be okay if I just called you now and then? I said, yeah. He said, you got any money for food on the trip home? No. I've used everything I did to get to Las Cruces. Open my wallet, 60 bucks in it. I said, here, here's 60 bucks. Maybe this will get you some food on the, on the train. So I called him yesterday. Did you make it home? Yeah. Where are you? I'm in the hospital. My lungs. He says, that's what happens when you get AIDS. He says, AIDS doesn't kill you. The lungs do. Your lungs just start to collapse. I was touched and overwhelmed by his story because he's a Matthew. The religious leaders don't want to have anything to do with him. He meets Jesus and he tries to call his friends and his family and tell them about Jesus and they won't have anything to do with him. And maybe Matthew is more successful. But let's go back to the text and see what happens. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees, the religious self-righteous do-gooders saw that Jesus is eating with Matthew, the despised tax collector who rips them off all the time but overcharging them. They go up to Jesus' disciples. They don't go up to Jesus directly to his face. They go behind Jesus' back and talk to his disciples. And they say, why does your teacher, you can imagine their big fat finger pointed at them, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here's the fill in the blank. Self-righteous, religious folk don't get it, do they? Being a Christian or being in a relationship with God is not about I'm better than you and and that we're fighting for only so many positions in heaven, and i got to outdo you. It is about a personal relationship with the Creator God, and these guys just don't get it, that Jesus would spend his time with the down-and-outers, the ones that are outcast, the ones that would go visit someone that is questionable or has had a questionable past. They just don't get it. Let, let me show you some math. I don't know if you like math, but here's some math. 
Self-righteous math is this. Jesus associates with sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners. And you can put any word in there that, that you, oh, whatever, he's a homosexual, he's a this, he's a that. The, the, we love labels today. I hate labels because it doesn't allow you to see the heart of a person. You see their label. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners. So they came to the conclusion, therefore, Jesus must be a sinner. But he wasn't. He had the love of God. But look at the text. Look at the text. Go back to the text for just a moment. And it says this. But when he, that is Jesus, heard them talking about accusing him of hanging out with sinners, look what he says. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Verse 13 sums it up. It says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. In, the old, in this uh, Old Testament, this word mercy would have been translated uh, compassion or love. God desires love, not for you to go give him a sacrifice on an altar. He desires this. Remember what we talked about? Head, heart, hand. It has to come out. God wants love from his people, to love other people. And he looks at the Pharisees and says, you need to go figure out that God isn't about sacrifices. God is about loving men to the point that they give up their old life. And then he says, for I came not to call the righteous, but what? What does your version say? What does your text say? But sinners. Sinners. So here's, here's now we have to go back up on your, if you're following along on your outline, here, here's the fill in the, in the blank, and we'll do this kind of quickly. Jesus says, yeah, Jesus, Jesus came for me, because we're a part of that, 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 that sinful group. Jesus came f- f- for you and I. You got that word down? Let's go to the next slide. Jesus says to follow me back up at the top under point number one. That's what grace is. Jesus makes the first move. While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ went to the cross to buy you back because he wants you. That's grace. Getting something you don't deserve. He wants that relationship with us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants you. Say it again with me. God wants me. How can that be? God wants me. Then Matthew, the next one, Matthew shares Jesus with his friends. That's love. Crossing barriers, crossing anything To let people know the good news. The most loving thing that you could do is to love people where they're at. To bring them to know Jesus personally. Do I have any fishermen in the audience? Uh, Not one. Chris, you're a fisherman? Kind of, sort of? Are you a wannabe fisherman? Okay, awesome. Do you clean a fish before you catch it or after you catch it? After. Jesus wants you as you are. 
After you give your life to him, he'll start transforming you on the inside out. Isn't that great? He wants you as you are. Come as you are. That's love. When you come and meet people where they're at, this, this Wayne, Wayne, oh, you're a homosexual? Uh, I don't know if I want to hang out with you. You have AIDS? I don't know if I want to touch you. Is that the right response? Or the right response is, okay, let me, let me go and meet with you and pray with you and hold your hands with you and, and talk to you and comfort you and encourage you on your new walk with Jesus. That's love. The next slide says this. The self-righteous don't get it. That's selfishness. That's selfishness. Do you know self self Righteous and self-centered people are fault finders. Do you ever realize that? They're fault finders. They want to find something wrong with you to tear you down, to make themselves feel better about themselves. They criticize, they point fingers, all in a very smug way. And here's the last fill in the blank. Jesus came for us. That's mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve forgiveness, but that's what he offers. Last slide, because we're running out of time. I want you to catch this. This is subtle. You may not know the difference, but I want you to think about it. I want you to get your head wrapped around this statement. Believing in Jesus is one thing, right? I believe in his work on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe his blood atones for me. I believe, I believe, I believe. It's another thing, believing Jesus. Now, what do I mean? Can you see the difference? Somebody, Tammy, can you see the difference? Or you're like, no. (laughs) She's like, no, Rob, I don't know what you're talking about. What's the difference between believing in Jesus is one thing, Believing Jesus is another thing. Let me ask you this. Do you believe what Jesus believes? When we talk about believing in Jesus, we're always talking about what his work is. But believing Jesus, when he says, this is what I say about homosexuality. This is what I say about idolatry in your life. This is what I say about loving people where they're at. This is what I say. And suddenly it takes on a whole different meaning. Believing Jesus is another thing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by who? Jesus. Do you believe him? If you do, then it impacts your life. Do you believe what Jesus says? That is different than believing in his work. And that's where, what does the Bible say? What does it mean? What does it say to me? What am I going to do about it? Head, heart, hand. Do you believe what Jesus says? There's a big difference. A lot of people out there, they believe in Jesus in the sense of what he's done, but their life has no conviction. Their life is not ordered by him. They're sitting on the throne of their heart, but they still believe that Jesus did all the things he said he is and who he is. But do you believe what Jesus said? That's big. Head, heart, hand. 
Let me pray.